All right, welcome to the Krug Show on a Saturday morning. Coach in the house. What up? 9.22 on the West Coast, 22 minutes after noon on the East Coast. We're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. till 8 p.m. or until they run out. We're also brought to you by Marin Auto Glass. MarinAutoglass.com. Check them out. Uh, Underdog Fantasy. If you're, you know, check that link in the description. Use the promo code Krug, and they will match you up to your first $100. And Sharp Corner Sports Cards and Collectibles, 205 Cypress Avenue in Pacific Grove. Call Anthony Catania, 831-521-5264. Well, we've been talking about it. Are the 49ers going to get themselves a defensive coordinator or not? And, Coach, they have uh, found their defensive coordinator. Um as I just adjust my mic here. There we go. Um, anyway, what what do you think? Nick Sorensen is the hire. Um, he was the passing game coordinator from a year ago. He's only been with the Niner organization for two years. Um, and then Brandon Staley has been hired to replace uh, Anthony Lynn as assistant head coach. Um, those, that's the news of the day. I've already kind of, well, by the way, if people tuning in going, what's going on on the show today, I was trying to tape a video before the <laughs> show <laughs> and I, but I wanted to invite coach because sometimes it takes coach a minute to get his mic set up and everything. So I went to invite the coach and I forgot to pop out of the room and thought I was taping a video, found out <clears throat> I was doing a, almost a seven minute live stream and then ending it. Oh, so anyway, we had to recreate the live stream. Um, So for those of you who jumped in, had to jump out. That's what's going on. Not losing my mind, not doing six minute shows. Um, Just trying to tape a video before the show and effed it up. With that being said, coach, good morning. And what did you think of the new hire? Uh, It was, it's a lot to unpack um, when you want to go with process. First of all, good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, good morning to the crew. Good morning to my peoples. Good morning to your peoples. You know what I'm saying? Both I feel channels, it. both channels in effect. Both today. people, got- you know what I'm saying? What's up to the Larry side? What's up to the bang bang side? Um, the way I feel about it is uh you can go two sides on this. You can go half glass empty, or you can go half glass full, right? So let's go half glass empty, right? Let's let's eat the dessert first. So Half glass empty is they swung and they miss on multiple candidates and the process drew out so long that they had to go with their, you know, their contingency prize, which is their constellation prize, if you will, which is uh, a guy who was a special teams coordinator under uh, quite possibly one of the worst head NFL head coaches of all time in Urban Meyer right? Spent a stint over in uh, Seattle and was the defensive game, uh, the defensive pass game and the nickel coordinator um, and the nickel uh, coach for our team. Um, And if you, my, my thing is that if you really saw Nick Sorison as a shining star, then you elevate him last year instead of bringing in Wilkes, right? Specifically, Nick Sorensen is a DB's coach, 
right? Which is exactly what we brought Wilkes in for. Um, and Wilkes is a DB coach coming from outside of our enclaves, coming outside of our defense, right? Nick Sorensen earned his chops in Seattle, which is carbon copy of what we do on defense. So there's confusion there. Then you can also say, well, Brandon Staley is um, the plausible deniability hire, right? Where it's like, well, you can, Wilkes has enough cachet where you can beat him up throughout the season and say, Wilkes knows what he did. He knows he messed up and the guys can beat up on Wilkes because quite frankly, he can take it. He's He's been around, but it's not quite, it's not really going to stick with Sorensen as the DC and there may be some bumps in the road down the middle of the season and Kyle's trying to throw his rookie DC under the, under the, under the bus. Like that's not going to play. So you could almost look at it as if like, Hey, kind of, I can beat up on Sorensen. I mean, I could beat up on, uh, um, on, uh, Staley, Staley and bring him in. And, uh, you know, that could be somebody where I can get plausible deniability where it's like, Hey, he's the whipping post. He already got fired. He's disgraced. And me getting rid of him and elevating somebody who I really want to protect, like Bullocks, I really do believe that Kyle likes Coach Bullocks. And he kind of wants to keep him out of the line of fire of what it takes being um, the D.C. Um, and the assistant head coach of a high-profile team because when we lose, we want blood. Um, so that's half-glass empty, right? Half-glass full. Half-glass full is – the narrative that I have been talking about throughout the offseason, which is pivoting, right? We need to find a pivot. We have to figure out how we can repurpose, re-optimize what we already have in-house while getting better as a team because our, our, mo our mode of how we win, our SOP, is spread out throughout the league. It's evangelized. Everybody does it now. So now we've got to be the one to be the trend breakers, right? So you could say half glass full. One of the biggest things that we've been saying is, Kyle, get a coordinator. Kyle, you don't have to be the head coach and the OC. Kyle, you know, why don't you take more hands off? Why don't you take more hands off of the process? Well, I did a little digging and we know this is the first defensive assistant head coach that Kyle has had since he's been here. The first year, the first couple of years that we were here, it was John Embry from 2017 to 2021. And then John Lynn, I mean, and then Lynn took over for the last two years. So these have all been offensive guys that had been the assistant head coach of the team throughout this time. You could look at this and say, Kyle is finally seeing throughout going through a season where he made it to the Super Bowl, but there were wide reports of Kyle putting his hands on the defense a lot more granularly this year, and specifically in the Super Bowl, where there were reports that Kyle actually did the defensive game plan for the Super Bowl this year. So you could look at this as Kyle is finally bending the knee in the sense of saying, all right, look, one of the biggest things that happened with Wilkes is I almost lost my locker room because my leaders and my guys on the defensive side of the ball, they weren't feeling this guy. They didn't understand his modus, his mode of going through the defense. They didn't like his schematics. They didn't like his coaching. Cool. So let me give them somebody who they know, who they've been in the trenches with, and who they respect. 
That's Nick Sorensen, all right? Then at the same time, Kyle's probably saying, all right, well, I don't want to put Nick in a situation where he's kind of flying blind, right? There's going to be a lot of firsts for him. And I know through a whole season that I just went through that you can't pour from an empty cup. Energy has to come from somewhere. And I can probably sense that there probably was some fatigue throughout the year with our team. And I'm telling you, it all flows downhill. You get a tired team, that's tired coaching. All right. And he, Kyle's probably looking at, uh, probably looking at Brendan Staley and saying like, look, you had one year as a DC and you were lights out. You've kind of been a wonderkin in your career. You've elevated and been pushed through and kind of got thrusted into a, a head coaching situation that you really couldn't turn down. Now is an opportunity for you to sit back, kind of get back into the, what you used to do, right? He's already been a DC. Brandon Steele, he's been a DC for a number of years, albeit on the college level, but he has that, he has that mode. And also one thing about Brandon Staley that I will say is that in certain ways, I do look at him as kind of like the defensive Kyle Shanahan, where he gets in his way a little too much because he has too much on his plate. Maybe these are two kindred spirits coming together taking the load off of each other and then together creating a good relationship where Brandon Staley doesn't have to worry about necessarily worrying about an offense, pushing through game management, and he can be his creative self with being with being able to help Nick Sorensen and be eyes on the field in the booth, possibly during game days. And then Kyle, he finally can give the entire defense over to a coaching staff that he trusts. Not only that his players are okay with the DC, but he also has another guy who can look over the defense and he can get back to the offense and put more hands on that side of the ball. So that's half glass full. So you can look at it a number of ways, right? So that's, that's kind of, I, I, I love your last comment. I really do. I, I think that is super uh, interesting, and I think you're right. I, I think Sorensen could be the defensive version of Shanahan offensively in that talented, smart, respected, but there are issues, and maybe maybe together they can get it done. Um, I want to go through a couple here, One, a couple thoughts on it. Dale says, bro, they were always going internal. Dale, I know this. I, I put this up there not to bang on you because I've seen this comment kind of or this sentiment out there in a lot of the chats. And I would say that's categorically false. Why? Because Steve Spagnolo says they offer the job to him. And, you know, it's come out in the last week that they offered the job to Belichick. So I, I, I think they wanted I think they aimed super high. I think they how high you know, you can't go higher than Belichick and Spags as far as outside the organization. I really believe they offered both those guys the job. I, you know, we'll never really know unless Shanahan talks on this, but there have been reports in the last 24 hours that he offered the job to uh, Diane Rossini from ESPN or from the athletic podcast said that the Niners um, offered the job to Spags a couple days after the Super Bowl. And they were flirting with the idea of bringing him in as the DC. I mean, Spags himself was working on getting a new deal, and maybe that they were just trying to help him along there. But I think that was serious. And there was another rumor that came out this week that they offered the job to Belichick and that Kyle reached out to Belichick and that Belichick said, hey, I'm going to do TV for a year. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, even though Dale says, bro, they were always going internal. 
I think they were always going internal unless they could get a superstar name. So I can't agree with the they were always going internal idea. So that's one. Now we have this one from Eric Dowling who says, I'm done with the 49ers. Eric, I got to say, I think that's a little... (laughs) I think that's a little over the top. <laughs> that's a little complete. That's a little. That might be. Uh, you Final. Might be putting, you might be putting a little bit too much into the DC hire, but I don't want to judge you or your fandom. Then we have this one from Jorge Reyes. who says Merritt would have kicked ass with the Niners five Super Bowls. We watched in the Jesse Vish big show Thursday night, the right. highlight of, and you jumped in on the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so you remember the dialogue. Yep. Uh, we we played a clip of Merritt on a Kansas City show uh, talking with a, a, a roundtable and questioning Shanahan. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how these things work. You When you watch the clip, Merritt comes across like, man, he hates Shanahan and, and like he's attacking Shanahan. When you watch the entirety of the entire sit down, it was like, dude, that was the guy. I mean, this guy's passionate. He's smart. Turned down the he's, Giants job. He's He's got rings. He's been in major markets. He's been on multiple franchises. Um, and I kind of wonder after I read the the Spags thing, if maybe Spags said, hey, look, I can't, you know, I can't do the job because I'm going to re-sign in KC. But, man, you got to interview Dave Merritt because Dave deserves the job. Um, so I, I kind of... I, I predicted on that stream that I thought they would go with Marquan Manuel because mm-hmm. Kyle worked with him in Atlanta. He had been a defensive coordinator before, um, and I thought Manuel would have been their call. But um, after watching the, the entirety of that interview, I kind of think that, that Merritt would have been the right guy just from the standpoint of he's an independent voice. He's a strong voice. Um, he is you know you know he's a man of faith he's a he's a he's a you know a, 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 a an accomplished uh core um linebacker coach um but then i was thinking why it doesn't fit is they don't want to get rid of their linebacker coach they like johnny holland they don't want to get rid of their d-line coach they like chris kasarek mm-hmm. so that you know once again the niners everything everything i think in football is about structure like was Harbaugh and, and Balky a good combo? Yeah, it was a good combo. Jim was a pretty good coach, and Balky was not the worst general manager. But it wasn't a good combo because did, they didn't fit together. They didn't have a trust. Uh, they didn't have any, you know, they didn't have that core trust. And, and how things come together do, do matter as far as the coaches and how the structure is in place and what kind of trust you have. So I don't know that, that you know, the Niners wanted to go outside. I think they wanted to stay internal from the standpoint of they didn't want to change their scheme. Then when Lynch went to the combine and said, Hey, you know what? We don't want to make wholesale changes. I think I read that as we like our wide nine and we like some, and we like, I mean, here's the bottom line. You you're replacing the coordinator, but you like the DB coach. You're replacing the coordinator, but you like the linebacker coach. You're replacing the coordinator but you like the D-line coach. I mean, think yeah. about that for a second. That's a very unique situation. So I think almost, first of all, we got to start our conversation with, what do you, what did you think of the job that Steve Wilkes did? 
Did you like what Steve Wilkes did? And yeah, I, I, I don't I, have I, a problem with it other than if you want to if you want to talk about in a vacuum for instances of the season, that's a whole conversation. But in its totality, I was pleased with the job that Coach Wilkes did as a defensive coordinator from week one to the Super Bowl. Right now, if you want to talk about the standard of what we expect out of our defense on a consistent basis, he left much to be desired in a lot of different areas. Some of it was him resonating with the players, right? Uh, and that's something that we'll talk about um, later. I shouldn't even have said that first, but that's the biggest one. But also situational awareness, knowing when to call certain things, knowing when to bend the knee to the defense and use them at the best in the best position that they can, right? It's almost as if... Um, Coach Wilkes actually got assessed as being a real coach where it wasn't what he was calling, but it was the results that he was getting about or the results he was getting out of the players that we had on the field. And I feel like that's how we, that's how we assess our defense, but we assess our offense differently. Whereas in we assess our defense from a standpoint of we have the names. All right. Then we should be getting the stops. We should not be getting scored on. Period. That's the end of it. And whoever is running the defense at that time is culpable. So, uh, and then also, I'll just piggyback on what I started with him not being galvanized with the players. Like, one thing that I did realize this season, especially with Wilkes being there, and it was kind of hard to see because D'Amico and Robert Sala were so entrenched into the fabric of of our team culturally, but these guys, they say that they're pros. These guys really have to like who they playing for. It's, it's evident. It's clear. And if they don't, if they're not feeling this guy, if they don't think that, you know, they can trust this guy and he's putting them in the best position, they won't play for him. You know, I've been on teams where we didn't like the coach, but we still played for one another. Like we that like effort wasn't an issue, not tackling wasn't ever an issue, not blocking was never an issue. We understood that the coach was a dick, and you know what I'm saying. And then I also played on teams where it was by design. He didn't care. It was like you know, as long as y'all all hate me collectively, I'm doing my job, right? So what I didn't understand is just the overall performance of all right. If you're not feeling him, then you know. You not being ready to play is not a coach issue. That's a player issue. If you already saying you're not feeling the guy. So for what it's worth, I didn't have a problem with the level of the level of play of our defense, but overall he deserved to be fired because you can't coach a team that doesn't want to be coached. And he lost the locker room. And when you have your players, when you have your best players like Nick Bosa, right. And Fred Warner coming out saying we weren't prepared. You know, like these were the reasons why we lost. Like he's got to go. He's got to go. It's, it, you know, I, I feel for Steve because I mean, look at what a hard job that is. I agree with you. I think, you know, the Niners players had a relationship with Sala. They had a relationship with D'Amico. Those guys were incredible personalities, very likable, younger guys that were closer in age to the players. And then you've got a new guy coming in, but not bringing his own scheme taking their scheme, trying to coach their scheme. And he's an older guy. He's more accomplished. He's trying to show the room that he's a strong figure, but then 
you know, it's like, did, did he, as you said, did his message resonate with them? Um, and, and then it's like, well, he's up in the booth. Uh, I think some of the linebackers felt there might've been a disconnect. Um, ultimately though, coaches coach and players play. And I think the Niners struggles this year have way more to do with their, with the moves that they made player wise than the coordinator switch. So mm-hmm. I think Steve got kind of a bad deal, a raw deal. Um, but then I look at Steve's football card and he's coached for 25 years in like 22 different spots. So, mm-hmm. you know, does he cultivate relationships or does he say, Hey, this is how it's going down. And then the relationships kind of wither over time. I don't know. I mean, I, he, he, you know, he's a proud guy. He's going to, you know, he's, I think he's a capable guy. I mean, they finished top 10 in total D top five in points allowed. And he did it losing Ebukam, Amenahieu, Mosley, Ward, Aziz Al-Shair. I mean, like five or six really good run defenders. They weren't very good against the run. I don't know that that was Steve's fault. Um, It was the same scheme and a lot of the same players, but then they lost five good players against the run. And shocker, they weren't that good against the run. So I don't know that. I don't think it was necessarily his fault. So. You know, one, they wanted to go continuity. So maybe, and I don't know any, you know, we've had, I've, you know, we've been privy to do interviews with some of the assistant coaches. I just never have had a chance. I've always chosen other coaches instead of Coach Sorensen. So mm-hmm. I've never, you know, I'm listening to Chris. I'm going to talk to Johnny. Uh, I've talked to Bullock. So it's like, I don't really have any dialogue with Sorensen to give you any kind of, you know, um, impression. And then they keep them kind of away from the media most of the year. So I couldn't tell you if Sorensen, you know, can't speak English or if he's, you know, if he's the greatest communicator of all time. And I just don't know. I just, I just don't know. I, I wish I knew more about that. As far as Brandon Staley, Staley's interesting in that he, he went to the Rams and they had like the greatest year of all time. I mean, number one in yards, number one in points, they won the Super Bowl. So then he's like the hottest coach in America and the Chargers hire him. He goes nine and eight the first year. They go 10 and seven in the second year. They make the playoffs. They lose to Jacksonville in the AFC wildcard game, but they finish second in the AFC West. This year, they get off to a five and nine start and, um, they lose 63-21 to the Raiders on Thursday night football, and he gets fired in the middle of December. And then yeah. Pierce, Pierce steps in, and the team starts playing well. So yeah. I, I don't know what to make. You know, Staley, um, you know, has, has been through a lot, though. I mean, he's this is a guy who beat, uh, beat cancer at the age of 24. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, this guy's, uh, you know, He's a married man with three kids. It's, you know, he's, he's, he's been a head coach. Now he's been the hot, the hot name in the coaching cycle. And now he's clearly down. Um, and his, the values down, but, and then I wonder like if, as the assistant head coach Staley went for it all the time on fourth down, Shanahan is way more conservative. Are we going to see the Niners now going for it more on fourth down? That part I, I wonder about the thing that I like about Staley is that, you know what, if you're going to commandeer this division, you better beat the Rams. And he knows Sean McVay well. So, mm-hmm. um, and he knows the Rams well. So maybe that's an advantage. 
He's also worked with Vic Fangio. He's worked with, um, you know, Dan Quinn, some pretty good defensive coaches in his own, in his own right. So I don't know. I mean, it's odd because you're hiring a guy who has real credentials, but you're not making him the DC. You're not running his defense. You're staying with your own defense and you're just having him there as a consultant. Um, I really don't know how it's going to go. I, I, I would have loved to have seen uh, merit just from the from the accountability standpoint. I think it would have made everybody uncomfortable, uh, which maybe is a good thing, you know. Um, but you know, I I, you know, I will say this: uh, Brandon Staley has coached at some very good coaching spots. Northern Illinois is is a very good coaching spot. Uh, John Carroll University is a very good coaching spot. James Madison is a very good coaching spot. Uh, the Rams um, is a very good coaching spot. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, ultimately, we've talked a lot about this, um, but I think what matters way more than this are what defensive players do they add to this mix? Because they, to me, I'm a players guy. I'm a personnel guy. I really believe it's the players. Um, I don't think Hargrave was that great against the run. And I didn't like the backup defensive lineman. And then I didn't like losing Aziz or Jimmy Ward. I, you know, I thought they were noticeably not as good this year defensively. And I think this is a huge, huge offseason. We're, we're talking tons about the right tackle spot. And there's no doubt they need to improve their offensive line. But the Niners are kind of a finished product offensively. But defensively, you've got almost all of your backup D linemen. Um, you need to replace, and then you have to add a linebacker or two. You need a little bit more help in the secondary. You need those young DBs to develop. You know, I there's a, to me their defense and the personnel is and what they do in the free agent market and in the draft are way more important than this hire. Yeah, I mean, um, I understand what you know. It's, it, it, everything kind of matters right now because it's the off season. So every decision that you make right now, you know, is going to bear out. You know, you need to look at that and forecast out, you know, where these decisions are going to lie. Um, one thing that I will say about um, Brandon Staley is, is that um, <clears throat> there's issues with him blowing games, right? Most notably the, the Jaguars game uh, recently. Um, that was a huge game that they let go. Um, another big thing is that um, for all of the processing errors that he has as a coach, and rightfully so, um, when he was with the Chargers, they had tons of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Joey Bosa was always hurt. J.C. Jackson was always hurt when he was there. Um, one thing um, that you also have to look at is uh, – He's also known for limiting explosive plays, right? Uh, that's kind of like his calling card on defense, being able to stifle defenses on explosive plays. And one thing that I will say that's going to be a, that piggybacks on him always going forward on fourth down is that he's a strong supporter of analytics. Now, uh, where that sets on how we're going to see the Niners, um, this version of our Niners in 2024, I don't know, but. Like I said, I'm choosing to go half glass full on this, right? Kyle has got a guy who had who I could we could argue is just as talented on defense as he is on offense schematically. 
Um, and at times, both of them have issues with processing their genius during games because I feel like they have a little bit too much responsibility. If they're approaching this the right way, this could be a really good relationship between the both of them where they could flow, the workflow could be better, and they could also bounce off of each other. And one of the biggest things is, is that I'm looking to see if Kyle is going to build trust with somebody. That's another thing that I feel like this is this also um, is emblematic of is that when we get coaches in the building, we are always asking who is the guy that respects that Kyle respects. Who's the voice that can get to Kyle and say, I think we should go for it here. Or I think this is the defense that should be ran right now. Or these are the things that I did when I was going through my my terms. Like I understand that Anthony Lynn was was also a head coach um, and he probably served in that role admirably. But I just feel like we're going to see a little bit more of, I feel like we're ran by our defense, right? We're a defensive team, but like the minutia of how we go about things is we're offensively driven, right? Where we forget about doing things in the case of trying to move the ball down the field or score. And I feel like having Brandon Staley could have, could be a possibility where we start understanding like, you know, maybe Brandon Staley is the guy that's going to start speaking up and protecting the defense when he's looking at Kyle and he's like, look, bro, you've gone nine plays in a row and you've not ran the ball. You're throwing my guys back out on the defense. And right about now, just out of fatigue is concerned. This is one thing that I feel like fans don't, the fans don't understand as well. Fatigue can cut off a huge part of your playbook, especially on defense, because the defense doesn't get three downs. All right. The offense gets three downs on defense. You got to kill what you eat. You got to get them off the field. So just by fatigue alone, you could really pigeonhole a defense by throwing them back onto the field and they shrink in performance as their fatigue goes down. I feel like having a guy like Brandon Staley in the building is going to be able to help with that. Now, as far as like our main issues are concerned, I feel like those are infrastructure pieces that we needed and I'm happy. We actually got more brains in the building and they're categorized in the right job skill set so we can go after the big issue, which is player development, which is free agent and wondering what we're going to do with our damn near $100 million receiver room that we possibly could have, which is going into the draft and figuring out how we're going to find value with what's going to be the cream of the crop picks that we get this year. Are we going to do, are we falling in love with the right tackle that we actually kick up in the draft and go get into Marius Mims? Or do we stay stand pat um, at 31 and go get the best center in the draft? So right now I feel like this is a good solid piece. Um, there's no games being played. There's really no information being doled out except what we hear from the organization. So I'm choosing to be positive about this until I get new information. Which I think is a good, you know, that's a good approach for sure. Let, let's hit some of the supers because a lot of them are, are um, on this topic and then we will get back into a different topic. We'll, we'll hit some other topics today as well uh, because, you know, people, to me, the coaching topic's fine. But the player topic is, is to me, the juicier stuff. Yaz Williams says Staley is not a culture fit. Mm. He says, says it loudly. Okay. Um, 49er underscore throwback. What are your concerns for Nick Sorensen and Staley? Um, Experience. Yeah, I mean, my concerns, I, I can't really say that I've got concerns about Sorensen because I don't know him. 
and I don't think there's enough track record there. Um, I, I guess that would be my concern that I don't know him and that there's not enough track record there. As far as Staley, uh, did his team quit on him? Because they sure look better the next couple weeks under Antonio Pierce. So that's kind of a concern, but they also ran out the GM and, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think Staley's probably a bright guy. Antonio coach- Pierce was the head coach of the Raiders, Larry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I should say the Raiders under Pierce destroyed Staley's team. Yeah, yeah. But when Staley left, didn't didn't the Chargers kind of have an uptick as well? Of course. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. Um, I was thinking of that Raider game with uh, 63-21. But, um, Aiden O'Connell, 63 points, yeah. man. I guess my, the, my, concern with Staley, my, yeah, my concern with Staley is just that he went for it so much on fourth down, and I don't know that his feel – like Shanahan, if you said to me, what's Shanahan's greatest attribute? I would say it's his – play calling, designing, and sequencing. If you said yes. what's his worst attribute, I would say it's his in-game decision-making and game management and feel. If you said to me, Staley, what's his strength? The I would say the same. Yeah, it's like, and his weakness is in-game feel. And so it's like, I get two guys who don't really have great feel in-game, in my opinion, on the same staff. But, I can see the Spider-Man memes now of Kyle Shanahan, Brandon Staley, and Nick Sorensen during a loss, pointing at each other. <laughs> like, like <who's... laughs> Yeah, I mean, my, my my other concern is like, you know, are the are the 49ers going to ever play complimentary football? I just feel like they did that a few times, you know, in the, in, under Sala and under D'Amico in the early days of Shanahan. With the mm-hmm. Niners, I felt like the Niners did not play complimentary football. And what I mean by that is sometimes when your defense is thin, you got to run the ball, dominate protect the time them. of possession, and protect your defense. And I thought there were opportunities to do that. And Shanahan seemed like he always wanted the explosive play, always kind of was still in this pass-happy mode, didn't protect his defense. Um, or if he did, he did it at weird times, like in the overtime against mm-hmm. uh, against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But I mean, I, to me, I want to. If your defense is going to have some flaws, if you got an awesome defense, you don't need to protect it. But if your defense has some flaws, you do need to protect it. Or if you're going up against a team that has offensive firepower, sometimes you need to play complementary football. I didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of that this year. No, I mean, I didn't see a lot of that this year either. But, you know, also, you know, I do, I do not like doing this, but I'm going to be fair. Um, giving Kyle some credit or not even giving Kyle credit, but just, you know, understanding is that this is, Kyle, you know, we talk about Brock's first time um, being here and, you know, everything is so new for Brock. This is Kyle's first full time having Brock out there and being able to just put out an entire work body of work and see what he has in the quarterback and being able to push and see what, you know, what's far North, what's far right. Like how, where, where are Brock's boundaries? So there could be an, uh, uh, it's so even, it's hard for me to even talk nicely about Kyle, but it's it, you, this could be a situation where Kyle is learning how to use Brock. 
Kyle is trying to figure out um, how far to push Brock and understand like, all right, look, when we go, when we go five wide, these are the things that we can use with them. When we starting to go up tempo and we're getting into our fast stuff or we're getting into our now packages, like these are the things that we can use with the Brock. But for the most part, we do have to have a base level uh speed or cadence if you will about how we move our offense that is complementary to our defense as well i do agree with you there were times where a lot of our three announce weren't because the plays weren't working it's simply because some of those plays just shouldn't have been called in the moment like where all of us are feeling like all right i understand like we need to be able to like out scheme these guys but we are better than them right like i felt like that against the about against the lions i felt that way against the packers where those teams, we were pound for pound better than those teams. But offensively, we we kind of get a little too cool for school. And what happens is, is that we're leaning on a defense where um they can only be they can only be best in the world, but for so many drives. And then they're gonna start leaking. That's not that's no a testament, that's no you know downside on them, but that is showing like some of the things that you know you should be paying attention to. Also, speaking of complimentary. Um, throughout the whole season, we have been replenishing that D-line because we basically gave all of our depth away for like a high-priced guy in Javon Hargraves, which I believe personally he's underplaying his he's underplaying his contract. I don't think he's living up to his contract personally. I agree. I think if you could undo that move, I would. Um, you know, I I I looking at the way the team looked this year compared to their defense last year, I liked it when they were deeper. Um, yeah, I would take but, the depth over that one piece in a heartbeat. Um, if you told me that we would have found a way to keep, now I understand that Charles Aminicu blew his knee out. I understand that, but before all of that, if you would have told me that we could have kept at least Samson Ebucom, Charles Aminicu, and maybe Jordan Willis uh, over Javon Hargraves, I would have took that depth all day over yeah, over having I him in too. there. Um, and, and not only that, I mean, Jimmy Ward, Aziz Al-Shair, you probably could have yeah. retained a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, and then now we are now where we have an opportunity to actually go get Aziz. I would really not be mad. Like, I, I get we need to get younger. I understand that. But I, I feel like writing that wrong is a big deal. Like, we should get Aziz back in the building. I really would do it. We're going to hit on that in a minute. Where are you with Shanahan? Are you as in the camp? Well, are you in the camp? I mean, I, I you know, I don't. I haven't talked to Grant in the last couple in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. We haven't streamed in a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. um, la- last I heard, him and his dad were firing Shanahan. Are you okay. in that? Are you in the camp that wants to fire Shanahan? No, not not with not in today's NFL's landscape. No, um, in today's in today's landscape of the NFL, um, teams are more profitable. It's profitable. You got to be profitable to win. Um, and I understand that you don't cut off your nose to spite your face in a sense that the only way a real discussion about Kyle being fired would be viable is if we started losing because this is about money, right? It's the, it's the money first, it's the entertainment second, and then it's the sport last that's pro sports, right? So for us, Kyle he rises enough tides on the sports element of all of this for him to be like above a beyond reproach. Like he's up like above the fray, 
But if we started losing and like not going to the playoffs, then I feel like that's when a real discussion needs to be had. But as far as where we stand as a franchise, I feel like talking about Kyle's deficiencies and his vulnerabilities are just kind of like a husband arguing about his wife. It's kind of like it's cheaper to keep her. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, well, I understand all of the things that are wrong with him. Um, but, you know, at this stage of the game, um, the only viable way of getting rid of Kyle and it making sense in history is if we have an owner who that's how he that's his way of business, which we don't or two, Kyle is cooking the books and he's losing so much that like the fan base and everything is starting to fall off. And then they're like, all right, we got to make a move. Right. But I don't think that they look at our team. I don't think the ownership looks at the team the way that fans look at the team from like a standard standpoint of like, we need to win a Super Bowl. A Super Bowl would be nice, but Larry, you and I know that two home playoff games is a, that's like going to the Super Bowl money-wise for these guys. So really, um, that's really it is. Kyle's attached to the money. As long as we go into the playoffs, Kyle's not going anywhere. That's just the logic take. He's 64 and 51 career. He uh as a head coach. Six and ten in 2017, four and twelve in 2018. Then they go to the Super Bowl in 2019. They go 13 and 3. They fell back the next year and went six and ten. But since then, 10 and 7 in 2021, lost to the Rams in the NFC title game. 13 and 4 in 2022, lose to the Eagles in the NFC title game, 12 and 5 in 2023. Uh, first place in the NFC West, but lose to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I mean, they they got to get over, but I mean, what we're looking at is a guy who is thirty five and sixteen over the last three years with two trips to the conference title game and 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 one trip to the Super Bowl. So I I can't sign off on the he should go, but at the same time, it's not like I think he's the perfect head coach and is not above criticism or, or is above criticism. Um, I think that, you know, critiquing him is clearly fair. Um, and he's clearly has some strengths, but he clearly has some weaknesses. Um, and, you know, I understand the, the conversation. I just can't ever get to this point of, yeah, get rid of him because I'm okay. Thinking to myself, so let me ask you this thing. I mean, who, who would I replace him with? I mean, my, there's always a guy. There's always a guy. Before there was Kyle would it Shanahan, be somebody there was better. a guy. There was a guy, right? And you got to look at uh, what Kyle has done in the NFL. It's not as if Kyle was just completely like blowing the league away before we hired him as a head coach. Those aren't facts, okay? Kyle is Kyle comes from a ready-made legacy that is deeply embedded into the lexicon of the NFL. And we are benefactors of that as an organization. So we don't have as much problems with trading guys and meandering throughout the league because we have a guy like John Lynch, who's like, and it, the football's clicked up. You know this. Football is very, very clickish. So if you're an insider, if you're a guy that's well-liked within the fabric of the NFL, then it's easier for you to move around. We didn't have that guy with the Chip Kelly. He was on the outside looking in. His coaching staff, the people that he knows, all of the front office people that he may have brought in, tried to at least. Um, these are guys that are not like, you know, 
um, charter members of the NFL. So when you don't get that trade, when you don't get that phone call picked up, when you're the last person to figure out how things are moving in the NFL, it's a lot. It's really emblematic of the type of coach you have. Right. Kyle kind of puts our organization in the in crowd. Right. So we get to kind of get the VIP treatment of the NFL experience because his father has been here for years. We're entrenched in the story of the NFL and being able to operate as an organization with the name Shanahan on your team kind of greases the wheels of progress. So I get that part. But as far as like pound for pound winning, pound for pound chops, Kyle was mediocre before he got here. He had maybe well, he, three... He- he didn't, he wasn't anything, right? Because he wasn't a head yeah. coach. Yeah, um, as far as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean they were. Yeah, he had, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe well, three winning what? seasons. The, the numbers are there. He had maybe but, three to four winning seasons. But he I can also maybe say the numbers two, are there. Yeah, the numbers are there as far as his Atlanta team was the most prolific first down offense in the history of the NFL. That was they one averaged, year. They averaged eight eight something a carry, eight something a play. Um, but I mean, Brock saying, Purdy had to be better right. longer than that for us to start thinking he was the man. Like Brock Purdy has been more efficient than that. Like he he had one year. The year before, even when he was in Atlanta, the year when they went 500, he had benched Roddy White, who was like Mister Atlanta at that time, which we know another beef would have would have wide receiver. And there was an active petition to get him fired, to get him out of there. They had won like six games in a row when they first went there, maybe seven. And then they had lost like seven games in a row. And they had the easiest, right? They had the easiest schedule in the NFL at the time. I think that was 2015. So what I'm saying is, is like there's a reason why guys get hired and there's a reason why guys get fired. Kyle blowing Super Bowls is never going to get him fired. Never. Okay. Kyle losing the organization money is what's going to get him fired. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, and and there's so much money in the game. You know, if, if we're waiting for the 49ers to be hurting for money before they're going to fire Shanahan, then he's never going to get fired because I don't. With the gambling money creeping in, the international money creeping in, uh, the marketing that the league the league is minting money, and the money's going up, 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 up. Um, so I, I, if we're waiting on the Niners to be losing money. They're gonna they're gonna lose games and have a losing season before they have a financially losing season, unless and you know something totally unforeseen happens and uh, they get terrible pub or something like that. I mean, there's just so much money in the NFL right now. I think Shanahan, if you look at him objectively, you could say mm-hmm. he's a talented offensive coach who hasn't fully grasped how to win. You know, how to win consistently. I know people would look at that and go, what? But I just don't think that, I think that he's a talented guy. I think he's a great play caller. I think he understands offensive football. Like, I think he's a better offensive coach than Jim Harbaugh. But I think Jim Harbaugh has a much better idea of how, how to, to win. How to win. Where, where I think Shanahan is a, his scheme, like Shanahan is got could coach circles around Harbaugh as far as play design, um, play execution, everything. But like if I said to you, who's more likely to win a Super Bowl in the next five years, Harbaugh or Shanahan, who would you take? Harbaugh. I think I would too. Yeah. You just Harbaugh's got a quarterback. Watch out. 
Coach Harbaugh's got a quarterback. Like you got you got to watch out now. Um, he also has a franchise though that you know is kind of has no history of success. And but you know, I was, I was they watching, need a culture guy. It's it's a blank canvas for him. I'm right. telling you, I, like, I saw it's, it's wide open. Joey Bosa did, and he said, "Hey man, I I did an interview with the guy for an hour, and it's like I'm convinced that." You know, his teams are going to play hard. They're going to be fast. They're going to be physical, that he's all about winning, that he sets the right tone, that he has great staff around him. You know, he Harbaugh does a lot of really, really good things. Um, he, he himself hasn't climbed to the top of the mountain, and we'll see if he can do it. Yeah. But, like, Kyle, I think, is a better offensive coach. But mm-hmm. I think Harbaugh has got a, 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 a much more um, – yeah, I think he he can he can get great coaches around him, and I think he you know just it's all about the personnel really. I don't know if Jim can do the personnel himself, and we'll find out if this guy Hortiz can do the personnel. But I think I think Shanahan's the better coach, but I think Harbaugh's more likely to win a Super Bowl, and I think Harbaugh today is further away from a Super Bowl. Um, when you look at the AFC, when you look at all the work that needs to be done on their roster, the culture that needs to be established there. The Niners are way ahead of the Chargers, I think, in a lot of ways. But I think Harbaugh understands how to close that gap, and I think he'll be so driven that uh, I think he'll 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 find a way to get it done. I don't, I don't know if they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they're going to contend right away uh, for a Super Bowl, and he's going to be a big part of that turnaround. Um, let's Let's hit a couple more of these Supers. We got this one. From Richie, looks like Kyle Shanahan wanted to hire Staley, but Bosa said no. So they hired Sorensen to make Bosa happy. When Sorensen struggles, in comes Staley. This is Kyle Shanahan's last chance to win a Super Bowl with the players, uh, the play with players buying in. Um, I think they think built that? it in that way, though. I mean, even if that's true, it's built in. Like Staley, you can't like. Bringing in Staley as the defensive coordinator is a demotion. He's the assistant head coach. Like, that actually matters for money. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So, him being locked in as the assistant head coach, in a way, um, it kind of, like, protects him. Because, really, Nick Sorensen could be the fall guy if they don't like the way the defense is moving. Because they can always get another D.C. Do you do do you agree with his premise though that Bosa didn't want Staley and that's why Staley didn't get the job? No, uh, I I don't. I mean, what? I don't. I don't think they. How much the say do Bosa yeah. and Warner? That's, how yeah, much yeah, say that's, do that's a that's a better have? question. That's a better question. How much say do they have? Quite honestly, I don't know the answer. My opinion is we haven't won anything, so you don't get any say. But I could see if we won. If we've won before, I would give say to guys because they've been to the mountaintop. They know. But we just fired a guy that you outwardly, that you publicly, like, blame. So it's like, no, not asking you. Uh, 49er Talk Show says Kyle will be fired next year, and this downfall will affect the 49ers long term. Bill will be head coach next year after his TV gig. Watch Kyle. Watch Kyle is a cancer. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, and you see that. That's a that's guy a with a Brock Purdy. That's a guy with a Brock Purdy avatar. I told you this before the season started. <laughs> you know what we talked? Did I not say this? 
I said to you, I said, Kyle met his match with Brock because the fans are not going to turn on Brock. It's going to be well, Kyle. They, they would have if Brock didn't play well. But I that's what I, I'm saying. I, I agree. That's with my next point, though. Yeah, that's my next point. My next point is, is that this is another silver lining that I feel as though is being missed that Brock survived Kyle. What quarterback Brock, Brock took away the let's blame the quarterback from Kyle? Yes, he survived it. Jimmy never survived that. Trey never survived that. CJ Beathard or Nick Mullins did not survive that. RG3 did not survive that. Neither did Johnny Manziel. None of them. And in a way, Matt Ryan didn't even really survive it, right? Like, I'm telling you, walking away from that game, Brock didn't have a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. He missed throws, and he put a little bit too much on. But at the same time, nobody walked away from that game saying that it was Brock. As a matter of fact, you can almost kind of feel like there was a little bit of professional, like, like a little bit of professional jabbing when I feel like a lot of professionals went out of their way to highlight how good of a game Brock did. Even coach Spags, Spags went and texted Brock and said, bro, you had a great game. He went on camera and talked about how good Brock did. Like, and you know what that is? That's all great for Brock. It's amazing. But you know what it also says is that that was on your coach kid. You had a good game. That 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 wasn't on you. He did everything he was supposed to do. And that's something that I don't think Kyle is used to. Brock didn't turn it over. Mahomes threw a pick. Brock didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like uh, Brock played. Brock, I mean, nobody plays a perfect game, but he, I mean, Mahomes didn't play a perfect game, but Brock played well enough. So, so it can't be like it was Brock. More, I would say this if you put out a poll question to every 49er fan, who had more, who would you blame more for losing Super Bowl 58, Brock Purdy or Kyle Shanahan? I am absolutely convinced that the fan base would vote, uh, that that uh, Kyle had more. more I would love, yo, put that on your Twitter, put that on your Twitter because that is the conversation. That yeah, I, I feel will. like will 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 put people squarely in the decision in the decision chamber of like okay, Wilkes is gone. We can't blame it on the defense. We can't blame it on the O line. This isn't about. Have you you ever noticed how we make so many versus situations on our team? But we just to stay away from Kyle, it's always Spencer Burford versus John Feliciano, Coach Wilkes versus the defense. You know what I'm saying? Brock Purdy versus this versus uh versus the Chiefs. It's like, nah, bro. At the end of the day, quarterbacks and coaches win games. Okay. And if you had to ask who would you blame more versus who lost this Super Bowl, I bet you there would be a resounding favor in Kyle. Like Kyle, you can't blame this on Kyle. Brock did exactly what he was supposed to do. Should it be a two-person thing, or should we add a third person? Here's the question: no, Who had two? Because if you do the, the big, third, they're gonna, okay. you're going to let them off the hook. No. Who had the bigger? Who had a bigger impact on the 49ers losing Super Bowl 58? Brock Purdy or Kyle Shanahan? There we go. I just yes. Heard that. 
Yes, I just put, put it poll. out. We'll we'll uh, we'll see what it says at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say people are going to say Shanahan two to one, maybe yeah. three to one, maybe, maybe three to four one. to one, maybe four to one. <laughs> <laughs> and and I agree with them. I agree with them. So I mean, yeah. you know, I you know, it's, and then I hold on, hold on. And do you know what else? And it, I want you to highlight and, and, this. And yet, and yet, I, I'm sitting here, and you know it because we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. I'm a Shanahan believer. I I don't think they should fire Shanahan. I mm-hmm. I you know maybe not not. It's not like they should never. But right now, if you said, do you think you'd rather keep Shanahan or fire Shanahan? No doubt in my mind, I'd rather keep Shanahan. But there's mm-hmm. also no doubt in my mind that he had a bigger impact on losing Super Bowl 58 than Brock Purdy. You know, one thing that absolves Brock, too, is that after the game, how he talked about his play, he admitted where he messed up. Well, that's he just, was culpable. He was accountable. He yeah. But you, but do you understand though? Do you understand how like just getting out, just getting the little piece of the accountability out of the way first does wonders for you? It's like I, it's like I don't understand why Kyle doesn't get that. Where it's like, my man, you're about to be asked like maybe ten minutes worth of questions. If you would just start the press conference with. 45 seconds to a minute to a minute of, Hey man, I didn't get it done. This is unacceptable. You know, everything that happened in this game fell fall squarely on me. I'm gutted for those guys back there. And I could have did better. You know, if you have anything, any issues that happened with the team, place them, place them squarely on me because this is where it belongs. Boom. Answer as many questions as you need to do and get out of there. Completely kill the narrative of Kyle didn't do anything. He wasn't accountable. And, you kill like a month's worth of content of people saying like, did you see the way he was answering questions? Did you see how cantankerous he was? Did you see how abrupt he was? And it's like, it, that's why it's not the fact that he's not accountable. It's the fact that I don't think he wants to be. I don't think he wants to be. I think he well, understands that there's a moment of time where you could do that. And he's like, I'm not giving them that. I'm not best, giving them that. Because you best, know why? He did it with Trey. Right. I was I had closure when he sat down after that preseason game and said, I feel like I let him down. Yeah. That was his that was on me. That, that was his me closure. Best, that was his best um presser by far. By far. By far. I, I was done after that. I said, okay, well shit. What else can you say? What else are you gonna do? I, he admitted it. I let him down. I was the reason. I'm you know, I agree. I agree. I think you would now you don't. First of all, the only thing I'll say is I hate the guys who do that so militantly and religiously that it doesn't have meaning. Yeah, it can't be a track. It can't can't, be like I got it can't be Mike Singletary saying I got to watch the film. You can't you cannot step into every presser and be like, it's on me. It's on me. It's on me. That gets tired, too. That gets tired, too. But. There's a right time to do it. And to me, like at the end of seasons, um, when your players can no longer make a tackle, make a catch, make a play, that's a great time to be like, hey, you know what? Because you know you lost the game. And you know it wasn't good enough. And mm-hmm. you know the buck stops with you. And mm-hmm. you know you're the big dog living in a $12 million mansion. 
and you know that the owner is is already on your side and has you know has already extended you. That's when you step up, cover your players, and be like, you know what, I gotta we gotta watch the film and figure out the mistakes. But before we do any of it, I'll just say this one's on me. This one's on me. I gotta be better. Everybody's gotta be better, but it starts with me. And I wasn't good enough. And I haven't been good enough in this game to get a ring. And it's not on the players. It's not on the coaches. It's on this guy right here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that goes such a great distance. I think you're so spot on on that coach. And, and, and the, 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 the Trey presser was such a strong moment for Kyle Shanahan where he said, you know what? Um, I blew this. I feel like I let him down. I let, I let, you know, I let us down. I let him down. Um, and, um, you know, I thought that was really strong and it, it really was. did diffuse the, all, cause there were people in the media that night that had sharpened their knives and they were ready to carve up Kyle and the way he owned that def- and he knew it, uh, cause he's not an idiot and he knew it. And so he diffused it by owning it, but he could do that a little bit more. That's all I would say. But- I, I will say, say this though, but I what would, does that say as long about as it's genuine? Our, what does that say about yes? What does that say about our media though? Like our Bay Area media? Because to be quite honest with you, I didn't think that the atmosphere was that thick. I just thought that the atmosphere like was adequate for the moment. Well, you know what after, I mean? Like it was after a preseason game. So you just little, traded little, yeah. the number three overall pick, bro. Excuse the hell out of me for giving a damn. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, like, I, I just well, I feel like on. I mean, coach, let's be honest. Corey okay. himself, Corey Rush, the head okay. of PR, who was with the New York Giants, has stated multiple times for everybody to hear, man, this ain't New York. You know what I mean? Man, this ain't DC. Man, this ain't Chicago. You know, it's like, in other words, the media here is very forgiving, very yeah. forgiving. Um, but they're not, they're not, they're not a bunch of schlubs, but they're just very forgiving and they're not quite as angry. And they, and it's like, if you, when faced like in the Northeast with faced, when faced with a coach who's taking the blame, they'll listen to him, take the blame and they'll still carve them up yeah. here, here. When a coach takes the blame. They'll say, hey, man, we're literally just waiting for you to take it. it it's yeah. there for you to do like. But here it diffuses the room. There it does not. I'm going to tell you, there's a reason. There's a reason why Kyle's father and him do not like Washington. OK, there's a reason why they don't like Washington. And a big reason why they don't like Washington is because of the media It's because the media was not impressed with them. They were not impressed. They Mike came in and he they wanted didn't win there. He wanted all the control. But what else is new? They never they're used to not winning. Well, but right? I mean they so, won they they won here and they went to Denver. They won in Denver. They went to Washington. They didn't win in Washington. So well, you know I, I mean it wasn't you always it wasn't, had that as a buffer. Let me put it like this. It wasn't the fact that they didn't win, it was how they were running the organization. Like Mike had his hands on everything, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to be accountable for anything. And the media had a field day and they were relentless. 
They were relentless. And there's some pieces about the Shanahan's that was that were written by Mike Wilbon, like New York Times, Tony Kornheiser, like people out here that were literally in your face, John Kime, where these people will write some stuff about you that I guarantee you would never see in the Bay about how they feel about these guys. So I mean, but look at his look what they did in Den look what Mike did in Denver. 138 mm-hmm. and 86 and won two Super Bowls. Look what he did in Washington. 24 and 40 and only one playoff appearance, only one playoff game and they lost it. So mm-hmm. it's like if they had if 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 they were 40 and 24 instead of 24 and 40, maybe things go differently. But, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have that success. Success always keeps everybody at an arms arm's length you know success is that's why you know that's why it is such a bottom line business it's like Mm -hmm. did you win or did you lose and if you win guess what you don't get as get the criticism but if you don't win you get tons of it and especially if you don't win in the northeast or anywhere in the kind of that i-95 corridor if you don't win in washington you get ripped if you don't win in new york you get ripped if you don't win in new england you get ripped if you don't win in San Francisco, it's, you know. You don't well, let me that. ask you something, because I don't live out there, right? Yeah. People are just kind of, I don't want to say is, that we're soft, but we're just kind of. Yeah. So let me ask you something, because like I said, I don't live out there. Out here, the commanders are an entity, right? But they're just an entity. There are other companies and organizations out here that people care about, Right. Are the Niners kind of like the top of the hill? Are they kind of like it? I think it can't be in Silicon Valley with all of the corporations. But uh, how are the Niners received locally? I just think that it's sports in a, in on the West Coast is is more in the place of where it probably belongs in our society. It's a diversion. It's a diversion mm. from the reality of life. In okay. a lot of places, it is life. You know, like SEC football, it's life. You know, it's life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Northeast, it's, you know, you win or you get criticized. Here, people will be critical, but only to a, to a degree. I mean, the Giants have been horrible the last few years. They've been boring. Ter- the attendance is falling through the floorboards. And yet the media is just very much like, you know, somewhat hands off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Warriors have been a dynasty and you would, you know, literally there's, they could take a crap in the middle of the road and people would just be like, Hey, you know what? There needed to be some crap right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the Niners, um, I think there's pockets of the fan base and the media that will keep them, uh, hold them accountable. But there's a lot of people that are like, Hey, overall, it's been pretty damn good. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're just not quite as passionate or as we don't tie our joy in on the west coast to our teams um mm-hmm. like like they do in other parts of the country on the east coast yeah i don't know if it's the weather or what or if it's the wealth or what it is but it just it just you know um not that people don't want to win but it's like you know and, and la is even more so like you know, is there pressure? Will there be pressure on Harbaugh to win? Yeah, but I mean, not really. I mean, not not really. I mean, is there pressure on McVay to win? Yeah, but I mean, not, you know, not really. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, 
Um, it's just not the same. It's just not quite the same cauldron. We'll just call it. Okay. That. Okay. Uh, Naven Johnson says this is embarrassingly messy as fuck. Fan since 1979, and this is the worst decision I've seen when the team is stacked talent. Not debatable. Staley in the building is goddamn joke. Be real, fellas. Well, that's okay. That's your I perspective. Mean, in the building, I mean, I, I, I once again, I, I, I you, all right, all right. Let's 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 go down Navin's road. All right, Navin. All right. Uh, if we go down his route, the guy's inexperienced. All right. He's uh, you know, he, you know, he was, you know. He came in, was a defensive coordinator on a couple of bad, on a couple of low-level college teams, um, caught lightning in the bottle for one year, and somebody was dumb enough to hire him. All right. He may be a really good guy outside of the field, but for Who's all of his experts, Brandon Staley. Staley. Yeah. He for was a of- hot name, right? He well, there was a time not that long ago where to like get Brandon Staley. If you hired him after 2020, just remember this. Brandon Staley has never been proven to be a bad defensive coordinator, only a bad head coach. So let's see what we can do with chopping down his responsibilities and honing in what he does well. And I, I feel like, well, said. you know, you, know, you can also be- say that about his Fangio. Yes. Um, right. But, Fangio, but, but to play coach, devil's advocate, right? to play devil's advocate, if Vic Fangio wasn't good enough, then why is Brandon Staley good enough? And he's a Vic Fangio disciple well i mean but i mean we, we you know and i know i mean uh richie pettibone in your neck of the woods mm-hmm. awesome awesome defensive coordinator not a good head coach no joe bugle maybe one of the greatest offensive Bugs, line coaches best ever. offensive line coach of all time not a great horrible head coach, head coach. yeah buddy ryan bill bill callahan bill callahan i mean there's there's just i mean um north turner dave wanstead I mean, these guys were really good coordinators and just didn't do it. So I don't know. I, I, I'll give Staley and Sorensen uh, an opportunity to kind of show me what they are going forward. Um, I can understand why they went with Sorensen for continuity. Um, in some way, Coach, if they're going to, you know, okay, it's like anything else. If we're talking about what at the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're talking about relationships. I'm not, I've been married for 25 years. I don't know everything there is to be about being married, uh, but I've been married for 25 years. Um, And what would I suggest to anybody who's getting married is that you better have a trust, right? She better trust you. You better trust her. Other than that, I don't know. Like there's all kinds of nuances and every relationship is a little different. But what do you absolutely, what's the essential part of a healthy relationship? Even like you and me, we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. We've been streaming together for over a year now. Mm-hmm. What do you and I, what, why are we better today? And I have a thousand people in the room on this Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Why are we better today than we were initially? Because we have cultivated a trust among the two of us. Yeah. Where like, I got, trust you. Got you. Some, you got some shit on you, your lip. This is trust. You got some shit. There you go. That's trust. Spittle. There you go. I trust you. You trust me. We built a trust. The Niners got rid of Wilkes because I think at the end of the day, Shanahan didn't trust him. So is Thornson better than Wilkes? I would say Wilkes knows more 
defensive football than Sorensen. Mm-hmm. Wilkes knows more about being a defensive coordinator than Sorensen, in my opinion. But there's a trust. There's a trust mm-hmm. between Sorensen and Holland uh, and Johnny Holland, and a trust between Sorensen and Nick uh, and Chris. I should say Chris uh, Kacharek. There's a trust between probably uh, Bullocks and Sorensen because Sorensen is in house. So there's a trust there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is he better than, than other candidates? I don't think so, but I'll give him a chance because at the end of the day, if you don't have trust, you can't have guys going behind the cord. You can't have the existing coaches have more of a trust with Shanahan and he has more of a trust in them than the coordinator. It just is not healthy. So Agreed. I I think Sorensen in some ways might be a good hire just from the standpoint of they didn't want to change their D. They wanted to have a trust. He doesn't change the D. He probably has the trust. As far as Staley goes, Staley was the hottest name in coaching in 2020. He's not the hottest name in coaching right now. You know, we'll see where it goes from there. I really don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what he's going to do. What is the assistant head coach's responsibilities? I don't even know. I mean, obviously, the assistant head coach, you would look at him being able to handle some subset of game day duties, right? So I think that if I was Kyle and I had an assistant head coach, you know, when we ask when we ask questions like, well, who's Kyle talking to about decisions about um, what to do on certain downs um, during certain positions of the field? Um, red flag um, challenge um, negotiations like. What are we, should we throw? Should we throw our flag here? Or shouldn't we? Uh, figuring out also, I feel like from a DC standpoint, it's obvious that they want the DC on the field, but maybe Brandon Staley could be that guy that's letting Kyle know, like, hey man, as far as the flow is concerned right now, we're kind of on E, or the defense is getting tired right now. Like, I really do believe that you know, they're only as good as their communication. I don't see a lot of what Brandon Staley can do to uh, help Kyle outside of game day. Whereas I feel like a lot of the behind the scenes application of what Brandon Staley is going to do, as far as like his day to day is concerned, I feel like it's going to be assistant Nick Sorensen. This is the first time he's ever done this. So um, I I believe that Brandon Staley would be really instrumental in that position where he can kind of lead from behind. Uh, help out Nick Sorensen with figuring out how he can be the best defensive coordinator that he wants to be. Um, and on game days, being an assistant to Kyle with helping him with game flow and game management. Uh, that's kind of like his job. I feel like in a way that's was coach Lynn's job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm eager to talk to Kyle and ask him what Brandon Staley's, what is he going to do exactly? You know, what is his, what's his game day? Um, you know, what's he going to do on game day to help you win? And what's he going to do preparation wise to help you win? And who knows? Maybe it'll be exactly what Lynn did. Maybe it'll be different. Uh, Mon Green Eggcorn says, Krug, coach, would you bail on Graham and Winters with a package deal for Aziz and drafting Cedric Gray in the hopes that Dre uh, returns as close to form as in previous years after the Achilles repair? You're lazy, Larry. Um, <laughs> first of all, I don't I don't think you, you know, Graham and Winters are going to be in camp next year with the Niners. I would definitely go sign Aziz. And I if I can draft uh, Cedric Gray, if I, you know, I'm not taking him in the first round. But if I come up on my second round pick and Cedric Gray's there, I'm taking him. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big Cedric Gray fan. And to me, me when you when you have an all-world linebacker, an all-pro linebacker, that's valuable in any round. So I love Cedric Gray. I think he's the safest player in the draft. Um, he's good. He's made 375 tackles or whatever it is at North Carolina over the last three years. That boy's the a machine. Mo- yeah, he's a machine. Absolute machine. If I can get Cedric Gray, I will. And as far as Aziz, I think Aziz is a really a great free agent. Why? Because when you sign a free agent, there's two. You know what you're getting typically as a player if it's the same scheme. But if it's a different scheme, you're rolling the dice on what you're getting. And then you're also rolling the dice on does he fit your culture? Does he fit your locker room? With Aziz, there's no rolling the dice on any of it. You know he fits your D. You know he fits your locker room. You know he fits your culture. So, yeah, it's to me, it's just a matter of what's his asking price. Can you can you meet it? Um, I love Aziz, and I'd definitely bring him back. You've seen uh, the latest post from Aziz, right? Yeah, where he had the interception of Cousins from 2021 mm-hmm. in a Niner uniform. Yeah, I mean, I did a video on it the other day. Um, I love Aziz. I think Aziz, and, and Aziz was there for the Green Bay game on the sideline while he's under contract. With Tennessee, so I think that was very revealing. Uh, young D says, "Let's trade Ayuk." We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, Charlie Sinclair says, "Staley with the Rams." It was the 2020 COVID year. LA won the Super Bowl in 2021, his first year with LAC. Um, okay, okay, but they were number one across the year, across the board, points and yards yards uh, allowed per game in the year he was there. Charlie Sinclair, York fired Harbaugh because he didn't win the Super Bowl. Uh, York no. even York even claims it was a mutual parting. No, I no. York <laughs> fired fired Harbaugh nothing because of the Super Bowl. York fired yeah. Harbaugh because Harbaugh had a dysfunctional relationship with Parag, a mm-hmm. dysfunctional relationship with Jed, and a mm-hmm. dysfunctional relationship with Trent. With Trent, and that yep. was the hierarchy at the time. That's why. Harbaugh was fired, not because of the Super Bowl. He loved the team too hard. He did. That was that was kind of like his sin. You gotta cult, you know, you have to cultivate key professional relationships when you're in business. Wherever you work, it's no different than this. This where the Niners work. You know, and Kyle would be out tomorrow if he had not cultivated good relationships with Jed, Parag, and John Lynch. If John Lynch, Parag, and Jed all agreed they didn't like Kyle, Kyle would be fired. Yeah. That's what happened with Harbaugh. Those guys all agreed that they didn't like Harbaugh. Um, We got this one from Richie. Kyle Shanahan is the embodying the game manager argument. Kyle Shanahan wanted to be considered a game changer, but could have won three Super Bowls if he was a game manager as a coach and play caller. His ego is holding us back. There's a lot of people. Another Brock Purdy avatar. I'm telling you, man. (laughs) There you go. You're either a you're a Purdy head or you're a Shanahan head. Uh, And I'll we'll update that poll by the way for you in a minute here. Charlie Sinclair. Yeah, right now. Let me just reboot it. Um, We have 612 votes. Shanahan's winning. The question was who had the bigger impact on the 49ers losing the Super Super Bowl 58. Brock Purdy or Kyle Shanahan, 612 votes, um, 91% Shanahan, 9% Purdy. <laughs> I told you, bro. 
Isn't that interesting, though? Yeah. Uh, Charlie Sinclair says Joey hates him. I'm sure he told Nick as far as about uh, Staley. Brandon Staley, yeah. Daryl Granville, member for 10 months. He says, GM family, can each of you give us a draft crush or sleeper you guys like that isn't known? Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Do you have a draft crush or sleeper um, that you are fired up about? I, I do have one. Of course, you know me. Um, mm-hmm. I've been, I've got, I've got more than one, but I can give you, I can give you a couple that are really tremendous. Uh, do you have one at all coach yet? I mean, I know, I mean, my draft crush is a Marius Mims. You like a Marius Mims? Okay. I love him. I mean, I think he's a guy that we can get in prototype, prototype six, seven, uh, three fifty. I mean, he's, he's, he's bigger than what they're saying he is. Um, he can run flexible and his ceiling is through the roof. He's not even close to how good he can really be. Only played eight games. I feel like he's a guy that we can stick over at right tackle. And as soon as Trent gives us his swan song, we can stick him right over there at left tackle and the Marys would be just fine. Um, so that's my crush. That's my crush. Um, I like I like Rook Aurora Aurora. Uh, oh, you like Rook, the D Rook. tackle? Aroro, that's his name. Rook Aroro from Clemson. Yeah, I, I, I love his athleticism. I love his film. Uh, he's tremendous. I love Cedric Gray, Max Melton. These are all Max Melton, the corner from Rutgers, but he ran four threes yesterday. So Max Melton is no longer a sleeper. But as far as a deep sleeper, there's a tight end from Furman. Where's Furman, coach? Furman is in, I want to say Furman's in Tennessee or Georgia. Oh, okay. Georgia? I thought, maybe, I thought maybe it was in Virginia. But he played, where, do you know where Ferris State is? Because he played hoops at Ferris State, and then he transferred to Furman, and he's a tight end. He's a 6'7 tight end. So- Furman's in so- uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, so he plays for Furman right now. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a tight end, but he's got, He's a he's a mechanical engineering major, which that tells you all you need to know. He's super smart, right? I mean, it's like, you know, if you're an engineering major, you're smart. If you're a mechanical engineering major, you're really smart. Um, mm-hmm. And this guy's name's Mason Pline. He's a six seven six eight power forward who could run and dunk and jam, and he's super athletic in basketball. He was a good basketball player at Ferris State. He also has 10 and a half inch hands is kind of nasty as a run blocker and, you know, is, has basketball like athleticism. Uh, I love Mason Pline. In fact, I did a video on him this week and Kev told me this morning, he's like Mason Pline saw our video and liked it. So, so there you go. Mason Pline day three tight end from Furman. Um, to me, that's the guy you want to compliment George Kittle. Super okay. smart, super athletic, six seven, but tough in the run game. Um, more of a receiver than a blocker, but um, a crazy athlete. Really, really good athlete. And then also, I'll tell you two other guys that I really like as far as sleeper offensive linemen. I would love to see the Niners draft the right side of the South Dakota State offensive line. They have Garrett Greenfield at right tackle and Mason McCormick at right guard. And these guys play incredibly well off of one another. Um, and they're both going to go in the mid rounds. And I like both those guys, Garrett Greenfield and Mason McCormick from South Dakota State. I got a sneaky fullback that I like in this year's draft, Jaheen Bell 
uh, played running back out of Florida State, um, 6'3", 230, um, hard runner, shifty, um, really good in the open field, um, really a, a, actually a really good route runner. Um, I feel like it'd be good for us to try to get somebody that can start replacing Juice, and uh, he's a really big he's a really big target. Um, also tough to bring down. Um, somebody that I would love for us to take a look at, Jaheim Bell out of Florida State. Okay, I'll give you one more, one more, and this guy is such a sleeper that you're not going to find him in um, any mock draft. But I love this player. His name is Elijah Chapman. Mm-hmm. He's a defensive lineman for SMU. He's mm-hmm. only six feet tall, but he's 280 pounds. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana, and he is just a monster. Just a monster. Love Elijah Chapman. Uh, and as I said, he probably is not going to get drafted. He's probably going to be a, or if he is, it's a day three, late day three guy. Um, love him. Think he's his motor, his toughness. Well, I mean, he's six feet, 280. Um, but he can really move. He can, you know, he's a pass rusher. He's got a crazy motor. It's a little undersized, but like I would take him as a replacement for Kevin Givens. Mm -hmm. Giving away about three inches of height, but this kid, this kid's motor is crazy great. Elijah Chapman. There's also somebody else who I feel like could be a sneaky grab. Um, he he's actually kind of falling. And uh, he's somebody that I really thought was going to be at the top of a lot of prospect lists once we got going. But I love James Williams, man. The safety out of uh, the safety out of Miami, man. Is he a safety? Yeah, 6'5", 225. I mean, he's somebody that you can. Yeah, dude, somebody you can bring down in the box. Um, Also kind of like be that Jimmy Ward, dime linebacker for us. He's played in space can play single high over at Miami and which he could do for us. And he's just also a big body. Like, to be honest with you, James, if you were impressed, if you were impressed with Kyle Hamilton out of Baltimore, okay, James Williams is my player comp for him. Wow. Where Kyle Hamilton out of Baltimore, long, rangy, covers a lot of space, can play linebacker, but still long enough to play tight ends and not be outmatched and undersized, and has enough pop to get out in the in, in the flat and cover and be a cloud defender. I'm telling you, man, James Williams, whoever gets him, he's gonna be a force because you just don't see that type of size and athleticism on the safety and the safety size. Like if you think about it. Now that you're looking at these guys, these guys are kind of like the next the next iteration of what we all believe Sean Taylor would be before he left the way God rest his soul, right? When Sean Taylor came in out of Miami at 6'4", maybe 3'6", three, 3'3", three, three, three quarters, 230 pounds running a legit high 4'3", with the nastiness of a linebacker, the ball skills of a corner, and the ranginess of a safety, and he had the body to deal with it. Sean Taylor, if you guys remember, came in the league at 230 to 240 pounds playing safety. He had to lose weight. He had to lose weight. And this was along the times where you had big receivers like T.O. and Randy Moss walking around who were scared to go against safeties like this. So. I like this guy. He's an ode to Cam Chancellor. My my big safety, Sean Taylor. James Williams, man, out of Miami. He's the next one. Kyle Hamilton started it back up, but I think we're going to start seeing a run on big safeties. 
I love that player. I, I, I seriously, I've, I've watched him a lot. Um, he, he is, that's one of my favorite guys. I love yeah. James Williams. That's a great call. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I don't Keep know, him in safety. Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like let him let, do like how, how, how much of a shame? Like you're Larry, we're, you're a scout guy. Well, you know what? You know what I really think? You know what I see? I see the, I see the guy that could potentially snuff out the Travis Kelsey's, um, Travis Kelsey candle. Yeah, you know what I mean? that's what I'm saying. That's why you don't put him at linebacker. Right. You put him at safety. Like, how how much of a shame would it be to bastardize his skill set by putting him closer to the line of scrimmage? He can run. Yeah. Let him, oh, I, let him I, play I, for I depth. Let him, let him put him on Kelsey, and let's see if Kelsey can shake this cat. I don't think he can. It ain't happening. Yeah. I love it ain't happening. That. Not with what James Williams brings. And you know what's crazy? They're going to start doing that. There's going to be, I feel like, remember how Miami, their skill set, I'm talking about the Jimmy Johnson days, when Miami was taking linebackers and turning them into D linemen. They were taking safeties and corners and turning them into linebackers. And this is in the biggest era of athlete in football days, right? And that's how they generated so much speed, right? Now, I'm starting to see now, even I got some friends out here that are kind of on the recruiting trails, now coaches are starting to grab like two guards from like play who play basketball that are like six four, six five. They can play that safety role. They can get on top of these big tight ends and they can cover a lot of space and they're already naturally agile. So I'm telling you, man, the, the game is awesome because you get to see how it just changes and morphs in front of you. So James Williams, man, he's gonna be a big time prospect. Oh, I love him. That that to me is is no doubt. That's a no doubter. I love James Williams. Um, all right, we got another one here from General Admission. Surviving Kyle needs to be a Netflix documentary. That's awesome. That's awesome. JD Durham. Uh I'm not sure. But JD, thank you. Uh Lester San Jose, the skeptic tank. Kyle's a better head coach than people realize. He's okay. loyal when he needs to be and cutthroat when he needs to be. Maybe a little too honest for, for many old school. 49er talk show. Kruger, if you were a GM, would you choose Kyle or Bill or wait one more year for a Super Bowl loss or an NFC championship loss? And if you choose Kyle, no Bill again. I, I, I think Bill is a great defensive coach who then got Tom Brady. And oh. uh, I, I think that Bill is a great defensive coach. Uh, I don't, I don't think Bill is the, I, I don't think Bill Belichick is Bill Walsh. I think Bill Belichick, you know, Bill Walsh had an incredible tree and his coaches went other places and did incredible things. The Belichick tree is like a bush. It's not even, wait a, a minute, wait, hold, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The players that he coached is his predecessor. Like, come on, like talk about a tree. Like the the Belichick tree may not be like everybody won and won championships. Part of the reason why is because he was too busy winning the whole damn time. So there's that part too. You just well, gotta add guys. that too. Mangini and Weiss and all these guys. I mean, it's like I, I I think Bill Belichick is the greatest defensive coach in the history of the NFL. Okay, but as far as as far as I think he benefited a lot from Brady. And I think we saw what Belichick was in Cleveland and we saw what Belichick was without a quarterback in new England. 
Um, by the way, I saw today that they're saying they're going to shop Mac Jones for a fifth for a fifth round pick. <laughs> I, I got one one question on the back end on that too. Um, we got this one from. Oh, I would I would go with Kyle. I would go with Kyle um, over over Belichick, even though Belichick. Yeah, I think the game is kind of past Bill by a little bit. I think it's a little younger, more agile game. You don't have as much control as you would like to as a coach. You don't spend as much time with the players as Bill used to. It's harder. It's harder. Yeah. I mean, I really do think Kyle's offense produces points. Now that you have Purdy, it makes it even harder because now you have Purdy and Belichick. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I guess I'd have to know who Belichick's offensive coordinator is going to be. Um, we got this one from James Wilson. He says, great show guys. Um, pour up off season needs to end the season. I'm on a 13 and one work, 13 and one work shift, 93 hours, get to work, please. And represent wishing the best for 2024. Go. 90 oh go Niners 49ers he's Niners get to work please okay Niners get to get to work and please represent wishing the best for 2024 go Niners uh great show guys pour up off-season needs <laughs> great oh, show guys off-season off needs. needs to the it's the in season I, I, I think you need you need a rock in the middle like a like a one technique tackle right um to go with Hargrave because mm -hmm. I'm not sure Armstead can be that anymore healthy wise. Health wise, mm -hmm. I think you need a speed rusher opposite Nick Bosa. Mm -hmm. I think you need at least two or three really competent D line rotation pieces. Okay, so that's what you need up front. You need at least one more really great all world linebacker. You need at least one big time corner with some size and some hitting ability. You need a, another tight end for sure. You need a right tackle. You need a right guard. You need one more dynamic weapon. You need a could corner. A, could be a wide receiver. Could be a running back. And I, and I said, number one corner. So that's what they need. They, they have about 10 needs. I mean, it's, it's not like they don't need anything. They need a lot. Mm hmm. You know, that's 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 the assessment. Rome says, uh, what does the assistant head coach do for us? It's a great question. We're going to have to ask that question. Naven R. Johnson, Kyle and Staley equals no accountability duo. I can't see players on D respecting Staley at all. Cool with Sorensen 100. The Staley thing is dumb and not needed. Noted. And that's all I'll say there. Stephen Draper says drunk Kyle from drunk Monday still making decisions. <laughs> wow, Steven's pissed. Tyler Wise Guy, I think Staley's going to help with mixing up coverages that look like zone, that are man and man that look like zone. He will help Sorensen. Uh, Tyler Wise Guy, I won't be surprised if Kyle drafts the Texas tight end. What, Latavian Sanders is that his name? Yeah. He's, he's athletic as hell. I saw that one handed catch from earlier this year. It was crazy. James Foster, enjoy Coach's perspective on the Saturday show. Well, Thanks, glad, James. We're glad you do. Um, okay, let's hit a couple other topics. We're an hour and 35 minutes into our live stream. We're brought to you once again by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California, as well as MarinAutoglass.com, Underdog Fantasy, and Sharp Corners Sports Cards and Collectibles. Uh, call Anthony Catania, 831-521-5264. 
all the links to all of our sponsors will be listed in the description. All right. The Niners have met with a bunch of players in Indy. Um, cornerbacks, Enos Rakestraw from Missouri, Max Melton mm -hmm. from Rutgers. Uh, those two guys. I'll tell you, I saw an interview yesterday on the NFL Network of Terion Arnold. and Cornerback from Bama. I love Terion Arnold. Terion Arnold is my my you know if I I mean the the corner need is not primary it's more secondary because you have other corners including Mooney Ward and Dima. He's just a great kid. But Terion Arnold is not just a great kid. He's a great athlete and a great kid. And when you can get a great athlete and a great kid, that's a foundation piece player. I would have, I, I'll say this. If Terion Arnold is on the board when my team's picking, I don't care what I need. I would have a hard time not drafting that kid. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but he, he did an interview yesterday with the Stacy Dale or Tracy Dale or whatever from the, from the NFL network or NFL.com. It was amazing. He was like, he was taught, he was shouting out his mother for driving him to practice and He's like, you know, sent her a message at the end of the combine. It was so powerful, so strong, so rooted in everything that I believe in as a parent. Um, that, and then the kids' tape and athleticism are off the charts. I, I would have a really hard time passing on Terry on Arnold. He is awesome. That's I know the other corners good too, but that kid is really good. Yeah, he's fast, instinctual. Um, was challenged a lot as the number one corner. Uh, matter of fact, had to fight his way onto the field. Um, there's another corner there, Kool-Aid McKinstry, um, that he's, played uh yeah, opposite hurt. of opposite of him. He is support. Um, but um I will say that Terry and Arnold is just like he's a Nick Saban favorite. I mean He's a leader on defense, instinctual, tackles really well, sound player, good, good speed, good top end speed too. Um, good in and out of his in and out of his drop. As far as getting getting back to getting to the top of uh, getting top getting to the top of his zone, um, and he's long. I'm on top of it. He's not an undersized kid, and I feel like he's got more weight to put on. He can actually gain some weight. Um, so. Um, Tarion is the type of guy that honestly I could see him playing corner for us. And if we got put in a pinch, playing safety as well. Um, he's that type of athlete. He's kind of a do-it-all type of dude. And also he'll be an asset on special teams if we picked him up. So honestly, who's better, who's better between McKinstry and Arnold? Not who's going first, it's gonna be Arnold. Right. Who's who do you think is gonna be the better pro? Tarion Arnold is gonna be the better pro. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Kool-Aid is cool, but when, when Kool-Aid first came to Bama, he kind of had his heart set in a lot of different places. He was a, he's a very talented basketball player. He wanted to play, he wanted to be a dual sport athlete when he first came to Alabama and coach Saban kind of sat him down and said, you need to make a decision, um, where you need to be. Now, one thing about Kool-Aid is that he's been hurt throughout his career, right? So him being hurt right now necessarily isn't any, any news. Uh, um, so that's one thing I will say right now. And then as far as like, just. Um, you know, in college, you get a little bit more of, you know, these guys aren't pros. So you get more of like a, a hands-on feel of how they're going, how they're matriculating through the program. And 
Terry and, Ar- Terry and Arnold and Miss Terry, which is Coach Saban's wife, they're best friends. Like they they share books together. Um, he's 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 a culture fit. Like he would come here and make other pros kind of tighten their game up because of how put together he is. He's that type of kid. Yeah, special player. He's not going to be available type for the. Of kid. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be available to the Niners. But Niners did meet with. Um, they didn't meet with him. They met with Enos Rakestraw, Max Melton, who I love from Rutgers, uh, DeCamerian Richardson from Mississippi State, and Kool Aid from uh, Kool Aid McKinstry from Bama. The Niners I got a couple also, of other names too. If you yeah, go you ahead. Have them. No, no are you sure? Uh, oh, I, well, I those are just the corners. Oh, go. Well, go ahead then. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm sure you're going to name who I was going to name. Yeah. Well, ahead. wide receiver wise, I thought this was kind of interesting. The Niners met with Jalen McMillan from Washington. Not a huge fan. Uh, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina. I am a big fan of his. Lad McConkey from Georgia. Luke McCaffrey from Rice. Bub Means from Pitt, who can flat out roll. Uh, Xavier Worthy from Texas. Brendan Rice from SC. Troy Franklin from Oregon. And Brian Thomas Jr., who I love from LSU. Um, What do you make of that, Coach? They have Juwan Jennings as a restricted. They have Debo signed. Lynch is on record as saying they want to sign Ayuk. You have mm-hmm. Danny Gray. You have Ronnie Bell. You have Tay Martin. You have, you know, they have, they don't need a receiver. They're meeting with a lot of day two receivers. I don't love Jalen McMillan, but they met with him. They met with Xavier Leggett, Lad McConkey, McCaffrey, Means. Well, Means is a dog. Me- Means is, can fly to him. Mean, he can really run. Uh, Brian Thomas is crazy good. I, I get the feeling that the 49ers understand that Jawan Jennings restricted free agent market could get out of hand mm-hmm. and they are getting, I don't think they can trade Debo. I don't think they want to trade uh, Ayuk. I don't think they want to trade Jawan, but I don't think they can keep all three of those guys. I think Jawan is going to get, especially after the way he played in the Super Bowl and, how many Niner people are around the league? You got Rand Carthon in Tennessee. You got D'Amico in Houston uh, with uh, Slowick. I think somebody's going to come knocking in restricted free agency for Jawan. They put a second round tender on him. I think the Niners would take like a third round pick for Jawan. And I think they're looking into the draft for Jawan's replacement. I really do. What, yeah, I, what, I what agree. What do you make of it? I or, agree. Or do you think Debo or you get dealt? That's too much of a blow for the loss that we just took, right? For BA to go somewhere and for BA to move on, it's kind of gonna it's it's kind of hard to say that we're running it back with losing a, a piece like BA, right? And I feel the same way about Debo. I mean, I've I've made my thoughts known about how I feel about Debo underplaying his contract, and I don't think that he's worth the twenty eight million dollars that he's due this year. However, I still do believe that there's a way that he restructures and in lieu of getting B.A. paid. Um, I do believe that um, Jawan Jennings is the odd man out, uh, and he will get outpriced. Uh, but one of the reasons why I feel like he'll get outpriced is, is because he deserves it. But to be to be quite frank, it's the last game he had. I mean, if we win that game, it's kind of hard not to argue that Jawan Jennings is not the MVP of the Super Bowl. Right. It's, it's kind of hard to argue that. Um, so... With that said, I mean, your last tape is your best tape. You know, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Your best tape is your last tape. So 
you know, he may have priced us out the game, man. It may look like they are looking for life after Jawan because he played so well. I mean, uh, right now it's going to be hard finding somebody that blocks like him. I understand getting open, but it, it's starting. It, it's it's known since Jawan has been here. I mean, he didn't play against the Ravens game, and in my opinion, that was kind of like the story of the game. He was sorely missed because yeah. we were moving the ball up and down the field on the Ravens. That wasn't the issue. It's the turnovers. But what really made what really were the turnovers that I feel like the turnovers were the symptoms. But the disease was the fact that we couldn't prove to the Ravens that we can consistently run the ball. And we got caught throwing the ball way too many times. And I feel like a lot of that was because of one, our offensive line. Um, but two, we were missing Jawan that game. And he is a very good blocker. I, that's the thing. If they're going to find a receiver. That's cool. But Jawan is way more than just a receiver. He's almost like a glorified move tight end, right? Like, I feel like he's like a detached tight end in certain aspects. Um, so it's going to be tough sledding, replacing him. Hopefully that we, hopefully we don't have to. Spending a second-round pick on a guy like Jawan is also a little bit rich, too, to be honest. And I see what they're doing. If they had a third-round tender on him, I would feel a little bit more concerned because I'd be saying he's as good as gone. He's definitely worth a third round tender. Somebody to get on your field right away in the third in the third round and actually play. There's not a lot of third round picks in step unless you're a lineman that can actually get on your field and contribute right away. So he'd be worth that. But a second round pick, I do feel like that teams may come sniffing around, but they'll balk. Second round pick is a really big price tag to pay for a third option. I don't see any team taking Jawan on as a second as a second option of their offense. He just doesn't run that well, but he man, doesn't run that. Guy, yeah, he doesn't run that. Guy, well. The guy plays big in big games, so it's like. But for us, though, you know what yeah. I mean. Like yeah. it's where we put him, the positions in which we put him. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know what they're going to do there, but I, I I get the feeling that they're going to trade Jawan and and go with one of these receivers. Uh, they also had a bunch of running backs they worked out or, or visited with. Frank Gore Jr., who I love. Mm -hmm. uh, Jawar Jordan from Louisville. Dejon Edwards from Georgia, who's super athletic. And then I'll tell you, one of my sleeper guys in the draft I love is Isaac Garendo for Louisville, who I kind of think of. He, he ran, by the way, Coach, yesterday, uh, Isaac Garendo, 4-3-3 at 200 and or 228 pounds or whatever he is. Um, he He's kind of a one back, but man, if if I was going to get rid of Juice, I would try to replace Juice with this kid because mm. Juice is, is obviously better, you know, can do a bunch of things, but they don't, they don't use him tons as a blocker. It seems like he's more of like a gadget guy. And I think Garendo could be a fullback with speed. And How much does he weigh? I think he weighs like 225 and he ran 433. That's big enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's this I mean, that dope. would be a huge weapon for us, too, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to have that type of speed. The other thing is, who's your third quarterback? You know, do you, do you re sign Darnold? Do you re sign Brandon Allen? And do you replace one of those guys with either a young veteran? They did work out or they did meet with Michael Pratt from Tulane who had a really good year for Tulane. Um, mm. I've been kind of hot to trot on, on Milton, Joe Milton. Uh, and by the way, I did a video on Joe Milton and Kev was sending me a list of the people who liked it. 
it was like NBA stars and NFL stars. And Joe Milton has a, has a huge fan base, mm. huge fan base. People are coming out of the woodwork saying Joe Milton. I love Joe Milton. Uh, Joe Johnson, the, the remember the former two guard for the Celtics and bucks. I think mm-hmm. he liked it. I mean, I was, it was unbelievable. Some of the people who liked it. Um, but, but as far as quarterback goes, we know Purdy's going to be in that room. I think Darnold's going to walk. And I think Brandon Allen's coming back. But I bring this up, Coach, because I'm doing a video later today on this. Okay. If you say, and if you say, hey, what do you think of Drake May? What do you think of Caleb Williams? What do you think of Jaden Daniels? What do you think of Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix? I would say most football people like all those guys. Oh, I love all those guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, and then you look, go around and you look, it's like you're good in college until you come to the NFL and you're bad in the NFL. And I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you, these are, you know, mostly hall of fame quarterbacks. Terry Bradshaw going into 1975 had 48 touchdowns and 81 interceptions became a hall of famer. Troy Aikman, first three seasons in the NFL, 14 and 24. Steve Young with the Buccaneers, 3 and 16, with 11 touchdowns and 21 picks, Hall of Famer. Roger Staubach, two touchdowns or three touchdowns, 10 picks, first two years, Hall of Famer. Dan Fouts, first five years in the NFL, went 12, 30, and 1 with 24 touchdowns, 57 interceptions. Sonny Jurgensen wasn't good until he was 27. Kurt Warner didn't bust out till he was 28. Lenny Dawson wasn't good until he was 27. Alex Smith going into 2011 when Harbaugh was hired was 19 and 31 with just totally marginal stats. I bring this up to say there's this group of quarterbacks that I'm going to name for you next. And these guys are all kind of stocks down, but some history tells us that a couple of these guys are going to be good. And here, here's, the, here's the group. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. All these guys are like 27 or younger. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Sam Darnold, Kenny Pickett, Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Davis Mills, Sam Howell, Trey Lance, Jake Browning, Drew Locke, Bryce Young, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Aiden O'Connell. Those are all NFL quarterbacks who are 27 or younger. That's like 15 or 16 guys. If you if, if you name those, those six draft-eligible guys, everybody loves all of them, and they're all going to be great. But guess what? It was just a couple years ago that Justin Fields was going to be great, and Zach Wilson was going to be great, and Kyler was going to be awesome, and you know, Bryce Young and all these guys. So of that last of those young quarterbacks that to date have not been great, would you want to bring any of those guys in as your third string quarterback? Do you believe in any of the young, you know, QBs that have yet that have come into the league and kind of fallen on their face? Mm. Or do you would you rather go get a rookie? I'd kick the tires on Mac Jones. You can get him, according to the report this morning, 
for a fifth round pick. Would you trade a fifth round pick for Mac Jones? It's pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 For a third for our third quarterback. I mean, the thing about it is is that you don't want to get a guy like the elephant in the room is Trey Lance. Let's just put it out there. But you don't you don't help Trey Lance by keeping him third on the debt because he has no time on task. He doesn't play. Um, the reason why Mac Jones will work is because Mac Jones actually has starting experience. Um, he, he's played before. Um, getting him on would actually be a good thing for the team. And I feel like um, in many respects, uh, it'd be it'd give Kyle another project um, to be able to help our team. But as far as like young guys, like – Maybe Mac Jones, maybe Kenny Pickett. Um, that's about it. I wouldn't you take on Zach Wilson. What about? Uh, I mean, obviously Bryce Young's not available. But mm -hmm. like, do you think Bryce Young's going to be a good NFL quarterback? No. Okay. Uh, do you see any potential in any of those other guys? I thought Drew Locke looked really good against the Niners this year. Yeah, Drew Lark has a live arm. He's just his issue is his decision making. He kind of just goes all he goes rogue. It'll be interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting if the Niners wind up with Mac Jones? That'd be tight. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. one man's trash. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? maybe crazy. Um, okay, a couple last ones and then we'll jet. Um the Niners have met with a lot of defensive linemen that are going to be right there on the board when they pick in the first round. Um, Mason Smith, who was an all-world recruit for LSU. McKinley Jackson, two-time captain for for uh, A&M, one technique. Um, Darius Robinson from Missouri. Austin Booker from Kansas. All these guys met with the 49ers um, in, in, at the Combine. Yeah, do you have a player at the end of the first round? Would you go offensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive end? Um, do you have a preference for a player at the end of the first round? I mean, I would go if I mean, if I had to go um, at thirty-one, I would either get Darius Robinson. I wouldn't be mad at that. Six-five, three hundred-pound kid runs a four-nine. Um, the speed that you need, run defender that you need. Um, it would be, you know, carbon copy of what we do um, on our offense. Uh, and But, you know, outside of, you know, my guy who I want, um, which is Amarius Mims, I think, I think going for center is the way to go, man. Like, and in my opinion, you can get the best center in the draft at 31, right? I think that Zach Frazier out Who of West Virginia. Uh, is it, is it Zach Frazier or is it Jackson Powers Johnson? It's either the Morgan. two. It's neck and neck. But honestly, there's three that I would not be uh, upset with at all. That would A be lot Cedric of people Van like Pran, the Georgia kid. Yeah. Cedric yeah. Van Pran. Cedric Van Pran, Zach Frazier, and uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. All three of those guys are can't miss guys at center. And like I said, at center, you do elevate one position. 
but you elevate the whole line by bringing in a good center, especially you elevate the offense. You can run the ball in both of the A gaps. They're not, they're not compromised anymore. You got strong scoop box on the backside and strong combo blocks on the front side for inside zone that we like to do. We all know that Kyle likes to pop the center out for pulling on play action. We get us a little bit more athleticism at the stage and stronger. Um, then also with Brock, the style of quarterback we have, Brock is more susceptible to run outside of the pocket when the pocket starts collapsing in front of him. We need stronger guys up front to take on bull rushes and guys that know that, you know, you can quite frankly just blow Jake Brindle off the ball. Don't believe me? Go back and watch some of that Minnesota tape. Go back and watch some of that Cincinnati tape. Jake Brindle was struggling in those games. Um, so I, I would take a center. If you really got to pick at 31, I'd pick a first-round center. That from there, you can build out on the O-line. You can kick Colton McKivitz inside, go get you a tackle. There's a lot of things you can do as you get a center. Let me give you another name at center that I love, and I've watched a lot of film on this kid. His name's Bo Limmer. Mm -hmm. uh, Bo is spelled B-A-U-X, Limmer. He was the Arkansas center. Um, this guy is something else, man. One, mm -hmm. one he's an academic All-American. Uh, he was first team all sec this year um and just a just a tremendous prospect um he's one of the strongest guys on the team he squats 605 he benches 445 i loved him in the one-on-ones at, at mobile bo limmer is his name um one other question here john feliciano it sounds like is coming back mm -hmm. um but you know who got cut this week is Lakin Tomlinson. And John Lynch was like, hey, yeah, we're going to call Lakin's, um, you know, we're going to call Lakin's agent and see, uh, you know, where he's at. Um, he signed a three-year, $40 million deal with the Jets. He, the guy played 114 straight starts. How do you feel about the idea of bringing back Lakin Tomlinson at right guard? For the right price tag. Um, yeah. He made $13 million last year. No way in hell is that happening. Right now, we just got finished talking about Jake Brindle, and we want him to get up out of here, and he's making 4.6 on the cap this year. Um, my thing is, is that I understand that we're not spending a lot of money on our offensive line, That that, but that don't mean you should just start spending, period. Um, right now, even if you go through PFF, um, for ranked offensive guards in the NFL, Lincoln Tomlinson is ranked like, uh, he's not even ranked in the top 50 of um, offensive guards in passing and run run fits in PFF scores. And John Feliciano is ranked in the top five, right at five um, in PFF rankings for guards um, for run blocking and pass blocking for the year. Um, and he's cheaper than Lincoln Thomason now. So You were an offensive lineman coach. Yes. How much credence do you put in the PFF? Honestly. None whatsoever. It was just something that I know people are going to go back and watch. Really, none. I, I, I just never. I know. I always want to put some credence because I know. Well, I put. Let me put it like this. I, I put, put credence into it. I put credence into it when it comes to giving me like a ten thousand foot view of who do I need to start looking at, right? But I don't put credence into it as you're one, you're two, so you must be better than one. I don't right. put credence into right. it like that. No, but I brought this up because the dis because the uh, the disparity the dis the numbers were so disparaging from 
John Feliciano being a ranked top five guard in the PFF and being cheaper than a guy that's not even ranked in the top 50, which is Lincoln Tomlinson. And Lincoln Tomlinson started the entire time. Um, also, come on, man. Like, we remember what he was before he left here. He used to always get beat on pass protection. He would always be confused. He was a good run blocker, but he left strong more to be hell. strong, good run blocker, but he left more to be desired in pass protection. And that's like the biggest issue in, that we used to have at that left guard spot. And quite frankly, I feel like Aaron Banks is really good at what he does at the left guard spot. And to take it a step further, Lincoln Tomlinson played left guard in college, okay? He got drafted by Detroit where they stuck him at right guard, and he struggled. He struggled big time in Detroit. That's part of the reason why we got him, because we put him back to his original position. Now, if we took him on, we're not moving Aaron Banks over to right guard, because when Aaron Banks first came in here, he struggled at right guard, and we had to put him over at left guard. So bringing in Lincoln Tomlinson to put him at the right guard is kind of like a fool's errand in my in my perspective. You can't spend big money uh, at center or guard. I just I you can't. It's just too not when you have as many talented players as the Niners do. Um, we got this one from Cap. He says, "Wrap this up, Larry. I got things to do. I hear you. I do too." <laughs> yeah, um, the combine just started. I know. I got I got to jump. Um, let me see if I got everything. Everybody's supers. No way. We got a couple more here. Um, great one. Seven, six, five. Jordan Travis, the best quarterback in this draft class. Kid out study. of Florida State. Yeah, Florida State. Uh, I saw how bad they were without him late in the year. That's for damn mm-hmm. sure. Uh, they were they were like two different teams. Joe Schmidt hits on like all the guys that I love in this draft. He says, Renardo Green, that's the Florida State corner. Mo Kamara, that's the Colorado State edge rusher. Isaac Garendo, that's the Louisville running back, running back, fullback, and Garrett Greenfield from South Dakota State. Joe, I'll say this. We're like-minded, so we're either, both, we either, we're either both wrong as hell or we're geniuses. <laughs> we're geniuses. We're, li- we're like-minded geniuses because I agree with all those picks. If I could have all those guys, I would take all those guys. Um, all right. Last, uh, last one. Mike Silver said, man, the Niners are going to come out and they are going to make some big moves. And I don't know. I don't know coach what he's referring to or who his sources are, but it's Mike Silver and Mike. Sil- when I say he's that, always I mean, right. Mike. Yeah. Mike is connected. You know, he's connected. He's really, um, he's one of the guys I really do have tremendous respect for. Not that I don't have respect for others, but I really have tremendous respect for Mike. What do you think? What's a big move? Either a big signing or a big like? Does that mean they're going to trade Eric? They're going to cut or trade Eric Armstead? Does that mean they're going to cut or trade Debo Kittle? Does that mean they're going to try to make a big play to sign Chris Jones? Does that mean they're going to trade a second round pick for Legarius Sneed? What What do you think? If you if 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 Silver's right. And the Niners are going to make a big, dramatic, roster-altering move. Who's coming or who's going? What do you think? Do you, I mean, we're all guessing at this point. We might as well throw I it am, again. I am. I am. I'm trying to think of the most egregious thing. I'm thinking maybe, it might be. I'm maybe thinking it might be um, a draft day uh, trade. Well, I'm thinking it might be a cut of Eric Armstead in a pursuit of like either Jones or DJ Reader. Because look at it this way. 
Armstead is long in the tooth. He's getting beat up. He is. And like you have Hargrave. What what do you need opposite Hargrave? You need that run plugger. In some ways, I think you might be able to get DJ Reader, who might be a better run plugger next to Hargrave than Armstead. Um, I don't know. I don't know. To me, it's probably something with their defensive line, but it could be Kittle. But I mean, Kittle is so much about their swagger. It could be Debo. I know Grant suggested maybe they would trade Debo, but I think the the cap hit is pretty severe. Um, I think it's going to be our, I, my guess is it's Armstead and they either go for a D tackle in the draft or it's Armstead and they go for a big D tackle in free agency. That'd be my guess. Yeah, it might. They might trade Armstead. Uh, I feel like everybody else is virtually off limits. I can't see them doing anything with Debo nor Trent or Christian. Um, they may trade BA, maybe a draft day trade with BA to move up somebody that they really believe in. Um, but yeah, I think like the squeaky wheel is Eric Armstead. Uh, right now, I mean, it to me, it would be Javon Hargraves, but he just got here. So I don't see that happening. And th- th- you know, the only reason why this doesn't make that much sense is they just extended him at the beginning of this year, didn't they? Armstead? Yeah. I I don't know his cap situation. I thought I think I you're right think though. Yeah, I thought they extended or, him. Or or Stephen Draper says Armstead may retire. He's making 28.3. He's due to make 28.3 next year. Like that's a lot of money, bro. Yeah, there's no way he's retiring. How old is he? Hold on. Sean Wilford says Grant saying CMC for a first round. He's only pick. thirty. They're not trading CMC for a first round pick, right? Yeah, Eric's only thirty. He's not retiring. They might trade him though. He is falling apart at the seams, man. At this stage of the game, you know that he's not finishing a season. We know that he's not finishing a season. So, you know that may be it, honestly. Because I really was trying to think about something else to counter to counteract your argument. But Debo's no going nowhere. They can sign BA. That's not like that whole BA narrative kind of flew out the window once the cap got released. Like if, they, if the BA doesn't get signed, it's because they didn't want it to happen. Like Gold House Purdy's gone. Yeah, there you go. There, Purdy, <laughs> Purdy's out of here. Would you do that D Ford deal again with Kansas City? As far as would you give Kansas City your second round pick if you could get Legarius Sneed? Yeah. You would? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that number one corner, God, you can do so much if you got the great corner. Shut but, down the whole field. I mean, if you automatically make Traverius Ward your number two corner, I mean, that that's something that most teams don't have. That's It's over. You know what I'm saying? With our linebacking core, with those corners, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, this last one from CJ he says, if we need a mid-round wide receiver, watch Malachi Corley. Very, yeah, very boy. Very much a Debo-like guy for the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Uh, love mm-hmm. Malachi Corley, definitely. Poor man's Debo. Coach, what do you got cooking the rest of your Saturday? You Hannibal go for the run yet? Or what's yeah, the we like? got to get yeah. Hannibal out. I got a show cooking up later in the day with Tom. We're going to start talking about this defensive coordinator situation a little bit more in depth. And uh, get ready for the week, man. 
Awesome stream, man. Have a great Saturday. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Coach. Thanks to all you guys. Thanks for the supers. About, about a thousand people in the room today. Awesome. Uh, Coach and I on Saturdays is becoming a huge one of my biggest streams of the week, and it's not because of me. It's because of that guy here. It's it's us us guys. That guy. Have a great day, everybody. Peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you asked for. Careful.